Good morning. Will you open up with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, the Gospel of Matthew in the 15th chapter. We are beginning a a new sermon series uh, that's entitled, I Will Worship. I Will Worship. In order for us to uh, really dive into this topic, I've uh, taken a a quote from one of my favorite authors, uh, D.A. Carson, who writes that worship is the proper response of all moral and sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. I'm going to read that quote one more time for you. Worship is the proper response of all moral and sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he's worthy and delightfully so. Let's read Matthew 15, 8 through 9. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your amazing grace. Grateful for a time that we can gather around your word and worship you through the study of your word. I pray that you'll just guide and lead our discussion today, that it will pierce our hearts and our minds that your spirit will lead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, I had an outstanding and amazing opportunity to meet with an exceptional teacher and preacher. His name was Dr. Fred Craddock, who revolutionized preaching and spent an incredible amount of time and energy educating preachers for decades. There were five of us who decided to make the trip to rural northern Georgia, down twisty, windy roads to find him, where we would have lunch with Dr. Craddock. Each one of us prepared a list of questions to ask him, and he carefully and deliberately answered each one of them. You see, you don't spend hours in a car to meet your hero just to wing it, right? Could you imagine how embarrassing it would have been for me if I had showed up and during lunch one of the preachers asked him a question and I started answering, or if I interrupted him, or if I corrected him? No way. I I felt it was an honor and privilege to learn from someone who had spent their whole life learning and teaching the art of preaching. And so I came in a, a different attitude, a different posture. When you look at Matthew chapter 14, you'll read about how Jesus performed incredible miracles. In chapter 14, he walked on water. He calmed the sea over Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. That beautiful illustration, my favorite countdown, Char. He, uh, he calmed the sea and he walked 
on water. And we meet Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 15. They are now on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And people have come out from the surrounding towns to have Jesus heal their sick. In fact, the NIV translates a Greek word here, parakaleo, that they begged Jesus to heal their sick. Matthew is setting us up for a compare and contrast. And that's exactly what he does in chapter 15. Jesus uh, met these folks who had traveled from Jerusalem in chapter 15. Now, Jerusalem to the northern corner, the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, was 80 miles. These guys must have had some very important things to say to Jesus to travel by foot 80 miles. Can you imagine traveling 80 miles to meet Jesus? What would be your first words? I love you. Thank you. You're awesome. Or maybe you'd be like the folks in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee who were saying things like, can you help me? I need you. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law in chapter 15, these were their first words to Jesus in Matthew 15, 3. Why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? They traveled 80 miles by foot to ask Jesus why your disciples don't wash their hands before they ate. Now, ceremonial hand-washing was a common place in Jewish society. In fact, you can read all about it if you'd like to. The first waters is what it's called, and they would rinse your hands before you ate bread. The second waters would happen after you ate bread. This was a ceremonial washing to wash off salt, just in case that salt came from Sodom. And that's just one example of the rules created by rabbis to keep an individual pure. Jesus evidently didn't teach these rules. Jesus evidently didn't encourage his disciples to follow what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had traveled 80 miles to trap them in. Why don't you follow the rules of society? Jesus, why don't you follow the rules of society? Now, do you see the compare and contrast that Matthew is setting us up for? You have the folks who surround this city who are broken, who are poor, who are sick, who are begging Jesus to bring healing. And you have the rich and the religious elite, the powerful of the day, trying to trap them. So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. People honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far away from him. This morning, as we talk about the topic that worship is internal, I'd like to look at their hearts as we evaluate our own hearts. 
You see, in their hearts, the Pharisees had fallen into habitual worship. What I mean is that the actions had no value, no meaning, because there was no thought behind what they did. Let's call it autopilot worship. Now, could you imagine what would happen here at Cornerstone if we just decided that one Sunday all we're going to do is sing songs of praise? There won't be any preaching, there won't be any communion, no tithes and offering. What if all we did was serve the homeless on a Sunday morning? No tithes and offering, no communion, no worship, no songs of worship. What if all we did was study God's Word? Well, I think we'd have a few upset folks, don't you? And I personally would be disappointed. I would miss all the different ways that we worship God as we gather. But listen, God never gave us a thou shalt when it came to our local gatherings. And therefore, we shouldn't fall into the habit of worship, the autopilot worship, where we just go through the emotions because that's what we've always done. That's what I've always grown up doing. That's what I've ever done. There was a very poor man in a remote part of China Every day before his time of meditation, in order to show his devotion to God, he put a dish of butter up in his window as an offering to God. Food was very scarce there. One day, his cat came in and ate the butter. And to remedy this, he decided to tie the cat up to the bedpost each day before his quiet time. Now, this man was so revered for his piety that others joined him as disciples and worshiped as he did. And generations later, after the holy man was dead, his followers would place an offering of butter on the window during their prayer of meditation. And they would all buy a cat and tie it up to the bedpost. When we pray... Do we internally think about who we're praying to? When we sing, are we internally thinking about who we are singing to? When we give our tithes and offerings, are we thinking about who we're giving for? When we study, and when you worship throughout the week, it should be exactly the same. Think before you worship. Don't get caught up in this autopilot, right? But the Pharisees weren't only caught up in autopilot worship, they were also had fallen away from God. In verses 3 through 7, Jesus gives us an example about how their rules do not honor God. It says... Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his mother and father must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is now a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it? Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You guys are hypocrites, he says. 
So what's going on here? The commandment is the honor your father and mother, but the, the rabbis created rules that went against this command. The money that could be given to take care and honor their parents, they gave a, a loophole, if you will. Instead of honoring your father and mother, you could give it to the church building program. You could give it to the temple. While that may sound super spiritual and sacrificial to give to the temple, it was really hurting their parents. And they'd fallen away from God because they created rules of worship that actually hurt other people. And what we have learned about Jesus and what we have learned about the teachings of Jesus is that worship is not only this way internally, but it's also this way internally. Because John writes in 1 John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So worship is not just about this relationship, but also this relationship. The Ten Commandments are interwoven with this truth. You can't claim to love God and dishonor your parents. You can't claim to love God and steal from your neighbor. You cannot claim to love God and cheat on your spouse. True worship from the heart loves God and loves other. Therefore, you can't worship God in a way that hurts other people. So they had fallen away from God and the way they treated other people, and they had fallen away from God and the way that they had uh, gone into this autopilot worship, but also the, the true right to the heart of their problem was they rejected Christ as Lord. Do you remember the story about how Jesus interacts with that woman who was at the well? They got into this deep spiritual conversation and the woman discusses with Jesus that her ancestors worshipped on a mountain in Samaria, but Jesus' ancestors worship in Jerusalem. And she was asking, well, which way should we go? Which, which mountain should we worship? And Jesus answers in John chapter 4, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, it is not where we worship. It's not how we worship, when we worship, or why. It's who we worship. Jesus Christ is Lord. And in order to truly worship, we must accept him as Lord. You see, worship is a proper response to God, delightfully ascribing all honor and worth because he's worth, because he's Lord. And I hope that throughout this sermon series, we will all grow and that our hearts will be molded. But for now, I want you to take inventory of what's happening internally. When you worship God, 
Are you just going through the motions? Does your worship of God hurt others? Or do you need to reconcile relationships so that your worship can be pure? Do your actions actually declare the truth that Christ is Lord? And if you answer no or maybe or kind of to any of these, know that it doesn't have to stay that way. Because Jesus Christ did not die for the godly. He died for the broken, the imperfect. He died for you and me, the sinner. And as he certainly does not want us to leave us that way, God sent his son so that we might have new life. And as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you too are given this new life. This morning we celebrate that truth. We worship God in that truth as we gather around communion together. This morning, we're going to be singing a song, and as we sing, I'm going to encourage you to go to one of these tables in the corners and grab the cup. And the bottom of the cup is the bread that represents the body of Jesus who was broken. The juice represents the blood of Jesus that was, spit, that was spilled. This is our time of worship together as in unity we declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are reminded of who you are. And we worship you and the words that we speak in our hearts devoted to you. We worship you, Lord, and through your word, through study, and we worship you through giving of our tithes and offerings and, and through communion. In all these different ways, Father, we are declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray, Father, that you'll bless our times this week as we, as we take inventory of what's going on internally so that we can worship you fully. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.